A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maybe. Concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 409. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about The Avengers, the Tara King years. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, we're back with The Avengers again, continuing our run through this cult classic series from the 1960s. As I put in our notes, Brian, it's almost as if we're needed again, although I know that's, as we'll discuss, more relevant to the previous series. Because this time we're on to Series 6, which ran from 1968 to 1969. That's 33 full-colour episodes. They're about 55 minutes each. I think the running time was an hour, but there's obviously adverts on commercial television because this was from the ITV. Yes. And this time they introduced a new agent who worked alongside John Steed. So Tara King is there. So we now have Steed and King and some other recurring characters, more than we've had in the past, becoming a part of things as well. And we have talked about the earlier years of the Avengers from its beginnings in 1961 all the way up through the Emma Peel years. We discussed those first in British Invaders 357 and 358, and then again with the appeal years in British Invaders 383 and 384. Great stuff. So lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. So the setup, John Steed is continuing as this extraordinary agent for an unnamed British security service, sometimes referred to as the ministry, but no uh, further details about what it's called or uh, exactly the nature of the organization. And this time he's working with a younger new protege, Tara King, who is a new agent who is just starting out possibly the best and brightest of the the new class of people and she is joining steed in their typical missions as they've been having up till now and we mentioned that we get a few new recurring characters because we also get very much an on-screen boss for these agents who assigns them their missions in several of the 33 episodes. Although you reminded me, Brian, that if we go all the way back to the first couple of series of The Avengers, there was a character referred to as Zero One, I believe. Yes, and he was acting as the boss, but he didn't actually show up that much and was not as big a part of things when he did show up. He was just used a little bit and only from time to time. Whereas the sort of controller we're going to meet in a moment is very much a larger-than-life character who does show up quite a bit. Yes, and in a very 
swinging 60s style, very different from that earlier Zero One character who was a much more sort of buttoned down early 60s type of character. Because, of course, this series has become very flamboyant and very 60s by this stage, Brian. It is very colourful. There is a sort of exaggerated at times almost surreal aspect of the way their adventures are depicted on screen. And I've sort of said that we might be back in this concept of Avengers land, although as we go on and discuss it, that might not be as completely true of this series as it was, say, for the Emma Peel years. Yes, and there is something to talk about there. I would classify this as very much still being Avengers land, which is a term I love, and we'll bring that up again. But yeah, there are things to discuss there. Okay. But we should talk about the characters. Patrick McNee continues to play John Steed, who is the British gentleman spy, always very well dressed with the sort of signature look of the bowler hat and the umbrella, and matching to that a suit. So we still have that character very much as we have for a few years now now and he's a very central charismatic part of the show when you think of the avengers you often see think of the image of john steed and in fact just the image of the bowler hat and a, and a uh, bamboo caned or bamboo handled umbrella lying on a table is enough to set you off i think brian isn't it yeah that's certainly quite a signature thing for it but of course this time we've got a new companion or assistant agent for john steed we have linda thorson joining the cast as his new co-worker tara king young bright competent stylish and sort of that 60s glamour look to her that we would uh, associate with this series and we'll perhaps mention, I think you talked about this when we did our last pair of episodes last year, Brian. Diana Rigg does appear in the first episode in a sort of handover episode where she sort of, or in fact, quite literally in one scene, almost hands over John Steed to Tara King. Yes, and that's an interesting episode. That's the forget-me-not, and I think we'll get back to that again as well. Mother, played by Patrick Newell, is the boss character, the officer that Steed and King are reporting to. And he assigns them missions and updates them on things that have happened and so on. He is wheelchair bound. So we see him always with the wheelchair. And it's an interesting representation of someone with a disability in a position of authority. And often we see him in a variety of surreal settings. Settings. So his quote-unquote office that he's working from can be who knows where. And he's able to do that and happens to be in a wheelchair. So that was interesting to see. And he is a quite larger-than-life character, as you say, which is definitely interesting part of, of Series 6. Yes, it is. And he is, Patrick Neal, very much a larger-than-life character enjoying this role with relish i have to say brian if you'd asked me before we started looking at the complete run of the avengers i my memory was faulty on this i thought that mother turned up during the diana rig years but very much associated here with the tara king episodes yes he appears with them appeal only in that one episode yeah and of course perhaps possibly because he is in a wheelchair he has an assistant 
Another interesting character, Rhonda, played by the actress Rhonda Parker, a very tall, striking blonde lady who is silent throughout. I don't think she says anything at all in the 33 episodes, Brian. That's right. She she never speaks. There is a suggestion that maybe she is unable to speak at one point. But I think for contractual reasons, I believe she was originally an extra and sort of promoted to this role. But it was an unspeaking part and also uncredited. Interesting stuff. Now, talking about credits, we should mention that Series 6 of The Avengers continues the trend of having... Well, practically everybody from British television and film acting who was around at the time turning up in an episode here or there. Almost too many for us to mention, but we're going to pick out a few highlights, some names and some faces that really stood out to us, Brian. Yes, for sure. I mean, I'll kick us off with Christopher Lee, Julian Glover, who continues to turn up in just about every property you can imagine, uh, Nicola Paget, Ber- the great Bernard Cribbins, Patsy Rowlands and Penelope Keith all show up in episodes. And we also have John Cleese, Philip Matta, Kate O'Mara, Anthony Ainley, Ian Ogilvie, Gerald Harper and Lucy Fleming shows up as well. So quite an array of people from lots of other shows and other films that uh, that we love. So it was always interesting to see who shows up in them and there are some really good performances in there oh there's some great stuff and as you say lucy fleming if you want to see lucy fleming before the 1970s and the survivors uh, series uh well here she is in an episode of the avengers yeah and she was really good in it then we had bernard cribbins and john cleese in the same episode so yeah all kinds of things for uh, people showing up fantastic stuff so we've mentioned that they get up to a considerable espionage adventures. They get assigned. They have these great game um, adventures with this 60s spy-fi, this slightly hyper-real or surreal settings. We'll talk about in a moment when we get to our production notes whether or not they attempt to be a little bit more grounded than the Emma Peel years. It's an interesting debate as we go along about it, how how successful that attempt was. Yes, I think there was an idea about doing that, and maybe somewhat, but I think they, they pulled back on it in some respects. But we have Steed and Tara King being assigned to missions by mother, or sometimes just being caught up in the actions of the oppositions of their various opponents and they end up being up against villains with advanced weaponry or people who are drugging people to make them forget or to make them never tell the truth we have futuristic computers being sabotaged we have sort of strange reenactments of the past all sorts of odd things that they're coming up against. So it's still quite out there and fun what they run up against here. And you'll recognise some sort of familiar 1960s espionage themes and concerns that perhaps represented popular concerns at the times introduced in the plots here. Oh, absolutely. So let's get to our production notes. We have covered the evolution and uh, development of The Avengers as a TV series quite a bit in our previous pair of episodes 
over the last couple of years. We should say, and I don't think anybody will be surprised by this, that series four and five had seen the show reach probably the peak of its popularity. It switched to colour filming. But of course, the main thing was that incredible on-screen chemistry between Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg, which was, well, I think we talked about it last time, Brian, but it was wildly successful, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. And it was being shown on the main channels in the U.S. at prime time, which is just about unheard of for a British series. And we had this, as you say, Avengers land. I think because of the American sales, they sort of upped the budget and went to color for series five. And it was really very big on both sides of the Atlantic, which is unusual for that time, for sure. Very much so. But as we discussed last year, all was not going quite so well behind the camera. And we know that Diana Rigg had been unhappy particularly when she found out what the salary disparity was between herself and other members of the cast and crew. We know that, you know, this was something that she complained about at the time that Patrick McNee supported her with. But the, the upshot was, was that she at some point decided uh, to move on. Yes. And Patrick McNee was arguing her case on that. But yeah, during the filming of Series 5, she decided that that would be her last her last series. And in 1968, she was cast as Countessa Teresa, or Tracy, in the James Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the first Bond movie to not star Sean Connery. And it was a big boost to have Diana Rigg in there, and she was very good in that role. And if you want to hear more about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, can I recommend the podcast Hooked on Bond Episode 6, where uh, you and your co-hosts covered that film, Brian? Yes, we did. That was the sixth Bond movie, and that that character with Diana Rigg, she's still my, my favorite of the so-called Bond girls. Uh, you know, she's still my favorite leading lady from the Bond series. And the film itself, of course, has grown in reputation over the years. And as you say, Diana Rigg as Tracy, probably one of the definitive iconic Bond girls. Yeah, and she gets more of a character arc in it. That was definitely significant that she was there and uh, sort of becoming iconic in that role following Honor Blackman, who left the Avengers and was in an earlier Bond film, Goldfinger. Yeah, still possibly two of the best Bond girls of all time. Both came from the Avengers TV series in the 60s. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, I will perhaps just mention that the reasons Diana Rigg left the Avengers in a BBC interview from several years ago I know she said at the time or she said in the interview rather that she she wanted to leave the Avengers to go back to her first love which was the 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 theatre and particularly to go back to the Royal Shakespeare Company and I think the iconic Bond role came after she'd made a decision to leave the show but it's very interesting anyway so some rough times for the production of the Avengers and they had this big 
hole to fill, I guess. Yes, and it's it's said that this was around an equal pay issue when it was a series that was so remarkably ahead of ahead of its time for the lead female roles and how good they were and how much of the central focus of the story they took up. And we know that one of the changes that came about was that the ITV network executives decided to change the format of the show slightly and they asked for a slightly more grounded or realistic approach to the adventures of Steed and his assistant. And this also meant that long-term producers, Brian Clemens and Albert Fennell, two names that we particularly associate with the Avengers TV series, were replaced by John Bryce who was brought in to uh, start work on Series 6 and give it this slightly more grounded approach. That's right. And one of the first things he needed to do was to replace Emma Peel, which is a big deal. That's a tough set of shoes to fill. And he said he wanted a more feminine lead than the earlier ones. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, but he was looking for something for something different from what they had had with Honor Blackman or Diana Rigg. And they searched far and wide, talked to lots of people. We know about Gabrielle Drake from UFO was considered and Jane Merrow from The Prisoner, Patricia English from The Champions, among others. And the interesting thing I read about this was that Patrick McNee was for some reason not involved in the auditioning process. And the reason I point that out is because we remember from last time, Brian, that Elizabeth Shepherd had originally been cast as Mrs. Emma Peel and had filmed, I think, one and a half episodes before they decided that it wasn't working and they went out to look for a, a new actor who would work well with Patrick McNee. So it just seems a bit strange to me that as the show's success was so built on the chemistry between the two lead actors that they didn't have the actresses sort of auditioning with Patrick McNee. That's right. In more recent years, it's become very common for productions to do chemistry tests where they'll put a couple of actors together and see how they do together. And I guess they weren't doing that so much at that point. But it's surprising that they wouldn't do something like that for this series. So eventually they did cast somebody. They cast, obviously, the Canadian actress Linda Thorson in her first screen role. She was 20 at the time. I should mention that she did have a relationship with John Bryce at some point in the late 60s. I'm not entirely sure if this was around about the same time but it's possible that you know that's how she got her break on the on the uh, on the series and interestingly they decided that the character of Tara King should be blonde and so they they bleached Linda Thorson's sort of like natural brown hair but made such a terrible job of it this was this was a slightly troubled production at this time Brian they made such a terrible job of it that for the first i think 11 episodes or so she's wearing a wig and not a blonde wig either. Yeah, they ended up sort of jumping around between different things. And you see her with a variety of types of hair, which is a little bit strange. And they sort of come up with reasons and excuses at times why this group of scenes has Tara King with different hair. But 
Yeah, you had sort of these odds and ends of things that were not working so well in this production. And the problems behind the scenes continued, and John Bryce only managed to complete three episodes. And when the network executives saw the rough cuts of those, they decided to bring Clemens and Fennel back again. Extraordinary. Yeah. How strange. And this is why we get the idea of moving towards a more grounded kind of feel, but then we go back a bit more towards what they were starting to do earlier because they ended up bringing Clemens and Fennel back in again and they knew how to make the Avengers and how to make it work and they did restore some order to the production and they decided that they should have a handover episode from Emma Peel to Tara King and this was new they hadn't done anything quite like that before in previous years in the Avengers and Diana Rigg agreed to come back this was sometime sometime after uh, she was gone she agreed to come back to do the forget me not which had been written as an MPL episode much earlier but she came back and they did it as that sort of handover episode and it's it's interesting because we, you and I Brian have talked about the difficulties of replacing a popular actor in a uh, successful TV show it's almost dare I suggest it as if they were trying to sort of film uh, almost a regeneration episode from Emma Peel to Tara King. Yeah, it's interesting because because of that episode, Tara King gets a real introduction epi- episode. She gets an episode that gives you a lot about her being introduced to the series. And Emma Peel gets a real exit episode where she gets a lot about her leaving the series and leaving the organization. And that's something that we didn't get with any of the other co-stars for John Steed. They would always have an introduction or an exit that was very brief and they didn't pay much attention to it. So it was interesting that they felt, I guess, with someone as iconic as Emma Peel, that they needed to do something like that in this case. Interesting stuff. Now, we know, as we've talked about, Clemens and Fennel also decided to introduce a sort of more definitive on-screen boss or controller for the unnamed ministry that Steed and King worked for. Though, as we've mentioned, there was suggestions of an earlier controller character agent in the, the original series. And we think possibly television and film in this period was obviously borrowing heavily from each other all the time, possibly inspired by the 1967 US TV series Ironside, they made a decision to put Mother in a wheelchair. Oh, interesting. That was the Raymond Burr series. Yeah, that could have had an influence. That's an interesting point. Yes. But of course, that did cause a few difficulties for Patrick Newell, who found it difficult to move around on set in the wheelchair. And it was apparently he himself who suggested that Mother should have an assistant. And I guess that's where Rhonda was bumped up from an extra to a sort of like recurring but non-speaking character yes that's right and she is apparently more than just an assistant she is an agent of some sort we see her 
moving to protect mother at times and we see her handling weapons at times so it was interesting they did sort of a fair bit with the character of Rhonda out of very little out of just having someone most most of the time standing there and having no lines it was an interesting touch to add we also had the idea that Steed and King would be briefed by mother in a variety of locations including the famous double-decker bus, and sometimes it was a car out in the middle of nowhere, and it was sort of the idea that the office he was working out of could be anywhere, and they reference that he was working out of a hot air balloon, but they don't. But we don't actually see the hot air balloon. He comes down and comes to Steed's apartment, when he's apparently based up aloft in a balloon. Amazing stuff. Again, my memories were of uh, Patrick Newell as mother in uh, either in the double-decker bus or in the hot air balloon, which, as you say, Brian, is not actually shown on screen. That's right. And it's possible that that idea was sort of borrowed for the James Bond films in the 70s and 80s, where M's office could be anywhere and, you know, could be on uh used naval vessel or in the pyramid they end up with him with the whole office reconstructed on an aircraft at one point so that does feel a little bit like what they were doing with the avengers in series six possibly some cross-fertilization going on there as well yes which is quite fun we do know that the american networks wanted to get more avengers it was successful for them and they sent the first seven episodes of series six as an initial package of the Tara King episodes. And fortunately, that was a success. And so they got the instructions to basically start working on another 26 episodes to make up the 33 in total from series six. Over here, broadcast weekly starting in September 1968 and running until May 1969. You won't be surprised to hear, Brian, that on the various ITV networks or sub-networks here in the UK, that the running order often changed. I think everybody starts with the Forget-Me-Not episode and the handover, but apart from that... There's not really developing themes, so you often get episodes broadcast in different orders because they're all pretty much standalone, aren't they? Yes, I think the episode Bazaar always is at the end. Yes, I think so, yeah. But yeah, uh, orders could vary for sure, and that was always an issue with ITV shows, in the certainly in the 60s and 70s, that they couldn't do much with ongoing stories because you didn't know what order they'd show up in in any given broadcast station. Indeed. They also had uh, broadcasts in the U.S. and in Canada with these very high-profile broadcasts, unusually so. And in the U.S., it turned out it was broadcast up against Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, which was a big show to be competing against in the same time slot. It was number one at the time. And possibly an error for the U.S. 
network to put it up against that and the ratings slipped and no further episodes or further series were commissioned and that was the end of the original run of the avengers okay so let's turn to the availability of series six of the avengers over here in region two uh, pretty straightforward uh, dvd of just series six for 25 pounds or 29 pounds on blu-ray the complete box set of all of the Avengers with the iconic bowler hat and umbrella on the front cover, that seems to be out of print now. You have to buy the individual series. But much easier, perhaps, if you have a BritBox subscription, because it is, of course, still included with BritBox over here, or it's on Amazon Video to stream for about £2 an episode or £13 or £15 for the whole series, depending on whether you want SD or HD, which is not too bad a deal, actually, Brian, for 33 episodes. Yeah, for sure. Over here in Region 1, Amazon Video has it for $3 an episode or $10 for the entire season, which is a very good deal for 33 episodes. Even better. Yeah, even, even cheaper for the whole season and they have the earlier seasons on amazon video available as well there are some imported region 2 dvds floating around on amazon and various import and used marketplaces there were region 1 dvds in the original run of the dvd releases which are long out of print that was before they had season box sets you would get a few episodes on a disc some of those are available but they're now very expensive so for the most part i think what you're looking at is amazon video and possibly some of the smaller streaming services might have it some of the time and importing the region 2 dvds okay so that's how you can watch this series Next time, we'll focus on a little bit more about why you should watch it, and we'll talk about some of the episodes, or at least the types of adventures that Steed and King get up to. And we'll also talk about whether there are science fiction elements or what sort of science fiction elements are included in the series. And there's even some spin-offs to get to, which we're going to ask you about, Brian, next time. And our, of course, we've got to get to our own reviews and recommendations and our own feelings about the Steed and King partnership and how well it worked. Absolutely. There's, there's lots to talk about that we haven't come to yet. And yeah, interesting show with lots of stuff going on to talk about. So that's always good. Until then, you can find our discussions of the earlier years of the Avengers and another 400 plus episodes at BritishInvaders.com. All of it is available. And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can join our group and talk about some things about the Avengers and other other shows there we are also on twitter we are at brit invaders pod so please follow us there thank you very much yes and we are also to be found as part of the voice of geeks network which you'll find at vognetwork.com lots of other stuff going on there lots of gaming interests but also other podcasts twitch streaming and so on so come and join the fun at vognetwork.com absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much for being with us until next time it's aiming in england also signing off <laughs>